Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. It is I, Keith Bergun. I'm here to talk to you today a bunch about RPGs. I've been very much in the RPG brain mode uh, for the, really the last, like, um, three years or so now. Um, really, it started around 2020 when I started diving into the Final Fantasy 13 trilogy. And uh, since then, um, you know, I've been transitioning my own career, too. I, I had this project, Castle of the Secret Arts, that I was working on, which was kind of like a stepping stone project uh, between my strategy games that I had been making and uh, a full-on RPG. And I've since shelved Castle of the Secret Arts for a bunch of different reasons. Um, but now, and I'm going to actually be drawing a lot of what we did for that game into the RPG. So now I'm working on an RPG and that also really helps me to inspire me to play more RPGs. Like I really want to be an expert in role-playing games, computer role-playing games. Um, I grew up, you know, playing console RPGs. Um, my first one ever was Final Fantasy One, I, I believe, if I recall correctly, if, unless you count like Adventure on Atari. Um, and uh, but then I, uh, you know, so I played a bunch of those growing up. But then in my teens, I got really into PC RPGs, Western style RPGs, like the old Fallout's, Arcanum, and those kind of games, Planescape Torment. And uh, I spent a good, you know, twenty years like really preferring those for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, I think because they're more systemy, they're more, I think they're more game designery in terms of like rule sets because they're more uh, simulationist. Um, and I think that maybe their aesthetics appealed to me as a teenager more because they were more like dark and gritty and such. Um, and I, I just, I wasn't really into like anime and a lot of uh, Japanese RPGs are very heavily anime uh, influenced. Um so anyways, uh, now though I've gotten, I, I, I've come to a point in my understanding of video games and stuff where I sort of feel like JRPGs kind of are closer in some way to like some essential video gameness, uh, which doesn't mean they're better, but, um, you know, the, the simulationist, uh, Western RPGs are a little bit more tabletop RPG ish. You know, they're a little bit more designery and that sort of thing. And I think that, yeah, JRPGs, um, and by that I mean games that I am thinking of games that are like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest, um, you know, Earthbound, Chrono Trigger, those sorts of things. Um, and I notice I've noticed that that is a very generational thing. So people born 10 years after them after me might think of a JRPG as more of like a real-time game. Um, Kingdom Hearts, I'm noticing, is is a much more uh, influential game than I realized. Uh, and I'm going to be talking about that because there's going to be two things we're going to do today on the podcast. Number one is I'm going to go through a bunch of games that I've been playing. Number two is I'm going to talk about bad things in RPGs. People love to hear about bad things, right? Well, uh, I did an article... Uh, six months ago or something where I talked about the three most important qualities in an RPG. And I will quickly review those before I get into the bad things. Yeah. Those are the two things we're going to be talking about today. Um, I'm making an RPG. I'm like obsessing about RPGs. I'm trying to learn everything I can. I'm listening to podcasts on RPGs. Uh, I, I'm just like really deep diving. I'm, I'm playing like four or five in a row. I'm trying to use the backlogged website to 
track what I'm playing and stuff. I will say I haven't been beating as many RPGs um, as I would like, uh, just because I don't have enough hours in the day to be playing them. But I have been, uh, I've been playing a bunch of different demos over on my stream, twitch.tv slash Keith Burgun, if you want to come by. I've been playing a lot of RPG demos, and I do think that there's something to be learned about the first hour or so of an RPG. I, I do think that it's a critical time for an RPG. Like, you really have to get that right, um, or else uh, it's it's very easy for players to fall off. So, um, and I think, it, you know, it sets the tone for the whole game. So, um, of course, uh, I, I do think it's not entirely fair to judge an RPG by the first hour because most RPGs do not really show themselves their full systems and stuff. Sometimes until 10 hours in, 20 hours in, Final Fantasy 13, for example, um, you know, that game really isn't its full self until you're like 20 hours in. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, I, I recognize that, but I'm trying to... And I'm trying to deep dive into a few of few games here and there and really beat them. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm trying to do a mix of those things. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about a bunch of games I've been playing. I'm going to give some thoughts about them and uh, maybe that'll be interesting to you. So on to the list. First one up is going to be Scarlet Nexus. Scarlet Nexus is by is a Bandai, a Bandai game. I think Tose is the name of the developer. And uh, it's a you know action role-playing game. Um, and it's very anime and it's like aesthetics and is in its storytelling style. Um, it's very polished. It's very clean. It's very together, feels very balanced. It's satisfying. The combat is very satisfying. Um, the narrative is a bit on the weird side. It's a very weird world. That's sort of, for me, it's a little bit like not terrestrial enough. You're like this weird, uh, super soldier character uh it, it's 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 just it's it's like a weird anime plot it feels like this weird dystopia and you're like fighting against these weird monsters called others i don't know it just it it strikes me a little bit it gives me a bit of like a this is like an anime for like that's supposed to be sophisticated but it's like for for younger people who don't who, you know what i mean like it's a little bit feels a little bit like adolescent e or something in its storytelling style um just like things like the other suppression force that's the group that you're a part of they they protect humanity from others the mindless mutants who descend from the extinction belt to feast on human brains so it's just it's a little bit like dopey um and maybe it, it expands later and there are things like the writing seems good it's um it's just it didn't it hasn't sucked me in i've played i don't know five to ten hours of that probably about 10 hours and I enjoy it. It's fun, you know, but it, it just feels very much like a modern video game. And, uh, the one complaint I really do have about it is that the level design is very lazy. The level design is like, it's totally linear, which is one thing, but if you're going to do totally linear for, you know, a 30, 40 hour game, you really have to do a lot of tricks to like make it not feel linear, number one, and also to make the environments just interesting to move through. And the environments in, in Scarlet Nexus, and most of what you do in the game is move through these environments and fight, um, are like these just like boring looking warehouses uh, with like rectangular rooms. It's very, it's very boring in that regard. And so 
it's a kind of game that like I could see playing it. It seems perfectly enjoyable, but there's nothing about it that inspires me. Like, oh, I need to play this. I will say it's helped me a little bit. One of the things I've been trying to do over the last like six months or so is to try to learn to appreciate real-time combat in an RPG, or frankly, in, in any game. I've um, just never been a huge real-time action person at all. Um, and so I think that um, Scarlet Nexus has helped me a little bit in that regard which we'll get back to in some of our other games that are on the list. The next one up is uh, Tales of Berseria. And I had recently, I had, like last year I played Tales of Zestiria and I was like really put off by it. I really didn't like it. Part of that is at that time I had even less experience with real-time uh, combat in games. This is another real-time action RPG. But the Tales of series is, unlike Scarlet Nexus, which is extremely polished and feels really good to do, Tales of has all these um, weird, janky, uh, and, and janky in not a good way, uh, kind of feeling things to it. Um, but Berseria, and I, so I really didn't like Zestiria at all. Um, and But now I've played uh, some of Berseria. I played maybe about 10 hours of that as well. And I will say one huge compliment I have for Berseria is it has extremely potent plot gravity. Uh, it has a likable main character who like has a clear thing that she really, really wants and is extremely driven by it. Her voice actor, I'm listening to the Japanese audio, is extremely like giving it her all. You know, she's like rage filled and doing these just primal screams that are very like very. Um, I don't know. It feels like it's one of those like more than a video game sort of feelings. And that's like desperately what video games, uh, what RPGs in particular need. And um, so Tales of Berseria in the in the opening <clears throat> first few hours, very, very strong um, narratively set up. Um, and there's a lot else to like about the game, too. <clears throat> but soon it sort of settles into this RPG rhythm that uh, you're kind of you start doing these like quests and these side quests and you have all this all this like just RPG stuff Um and my biggest issue with Tales of Berseria, though, is that the combat system is not only real time, but it's like it's extra weird. It's 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 very complex uh, compared to something like Scarlet Nexus, because you have four characters, each of which, who you know, have uh, you have the four face buttons and you and you apply different abilities in a four move sequence to each face button. So like why could be like do this weird specific move and then do this weird specific move and then do this weird specific move and then do this weird specific move. So each character has basically like a matrix of 16 moves that you can figure, each of which does some very specific weird thing, like a slide kick that does 10% extra damage to beasts and has a chance to stun. And like, but the slide kick might go really well into some other specific move, but it doesn't tell you what that is. So there's like all these like really fine details, like fighting game level minutia to all the abilities. And you don't really have to do any of that or care about any of that, but it's all this weird stuff that's going on. And you sort of feel like, oh, should I care about this? Should I do this? And if you don't care about it, then the combat system is really pretty boring. Like I find myself cranking the difficulty up um, and it got a lot better when I did, but, um, you know, I, I sort of feel like you, you shouldn't generally have to do that. And I, I, that's not an experience I usually have with RPGs that I have to crank the difficulty up higher. 
And then I found that at the higher difficulties, I was like having difficulty because there's so much you can do. Like you can switch between characters and uh, there's just, it's actually like, I don't know. It really feels like it needs a total just redesign. It feels like there's all this grandfathered in stuff and they just got to start over. Now I've heard that the latest tales of Tales of Arise game does kind of restart their combat system. So I'm sort of interested in that. But um, yeah, uh, I like Tales of Berseria. I, 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 if you like real time action games, uh, I would say check it out. Um, but it, it didn't, you know, at a certain point, the opening, the power of the opening sort of started falling off. And I just was like, I don't know, man, I, I'm, I might still play it, but I've, I've been trying to recently, I've been like, I'm going to, I have too many games to play. I'm going to try to like lower the total number of games that I need to play by just cutting out real time games. Because I mean, especially because I'm making a turn-based RPG, I'm really interested in turn-based games. And I think there's a lot I can learn from real time games, but there's just so many freaking games. And so I'm going to try to cut out the real time games uh, going forward with some uh, notable exceptions, which I'll get into. Okay, the next game I played was In Stars and Time, which is an indie RPG, which is just coming out. This is created by a developer called Insert Disc 5, um, and it's got great art, very good music. Um, it's a it's made in RPG Maker, I believe, um, and you, you do notice that, but it's so well made um and the script is really good and it's really charming and there's all these little details that i really like like when you click on something you know in the environment you might you know you might get a little cutscene of like conversation between people in your party talking about the thing uh in the environment and that was really cool uh the combat system is like a very simple rock paper scissors kind of thing not, I was afraid that it'd be like Dokapon Kingdom where you're doing like a simultaneous reveal. It's not like that. It's just, it's more like Pokemon where you just have like a little bit of a counter. Uh, you, you do more damage if you are countering. So it's, um, it seems good. It seems functional. You know, it's not super compelling to me mechanically as a game. Um, it just feels like it's a little bit on the simple side, but you know, then again, I, I'm just starting, so I'm pretty excited to give it a try, uh, play it a bit more. Um, it seems really good. Um, so yeah, I definitely recommend in stars and time so far, uh, great art, great music, great writing. I mean, if you have those three, it's pretty good. Like the, the basic narrative setup, I don't know. I don't know that I fully understood it or like was following it exactly. Um, but, uh, it seems not bad at the very least. I think, I think you were going to like, uh, what was it? Break people out of a jail or something like that, um, which sounds great. Um, so yeah, that's in Stars and Time. I definitely recommend checking that out. And that is a turn-based uh, RPG, by the way. Okay, next up is Octopath Traveler 2. I, I'm, of all the game RPGs I've played probably this year, I think Octopath Traveler 2 so far, and I'm not that far into it, I'm maybe six hours in or so, so far might be my favorite one of the year uh that i've played and it's let me let me start with the positives um it looks quite good uh it has that 3d 2d thing which has some issues but whatever it's it's fine it looks better than you know a game like um 
uh, Chained Echoes uh, just has better art. You know, the art direction, the color, that kind of stuff is just is just better. Um, music's pretty good. The plot is interesting because, um, you know, Octopath has this thing where it's eight different characters. And so you'll start with one. Here's how it works, because I was wondering about this, like, but so far how it works is you start with one character, you pick a character out of eight, you start their story and each character seems to have an origin, which is about 90 minutes long. And once you get to the end of their origin, you will meet one of the other characters, at which point you can then switch to their origin story and and then they will meet another character or some or they'll meet your character your initial character but and then you have this so you can like keep branching you know origin story origin story origin story which i i think is actually a kind of a risky um risky idea for the game uh i don't think it's good if the player sits there doing eight 90 minute origin stories one after the other i don't think that's what you want um you want players to be able to like start getting invested in one character and what they, you know, what they want, the development of their story, the development of their mechanics. So they're like leveling up and they're like learning new skills and stuff. And it's sort it's jarring. It's a big cost to then switch off to another character, sort of starting a new RPG from scratch. So that's and that was my first the reason I never played Octopath Traveler One, I played the demo briefly just to see what it was like. But the reason I never like got it and really dove into it was this whole Octopath concept of the eight different characters. Um, it's also the same reason I never played Saga Frontier. Um, and uh, I think, I think uh, Live Live Alive, or I don't know how it's pronounced, but Live a Live, Live a Live. Uh, also, I haven't played that for the same reason. Um, because, yeah, it's, you know, like I said, like the first hour and a half or so of an RPG so important and it's it's critical because it's very easy to fall off during that time because you're not invested yet and so yeah i think there might be a way with octopath that i can sort of i mean there shouldn't be a wrong way to play it so i'm hoping that like i've done like three character origins now i'm finishing my third one and i'm hoping that now i can like kind of go back to the first one with the other two characters with me and like have sort of more of a normal RPG experience for a while, you know, like that, that's the way I would do it is like, I would, I wouldn't do it like, you know, character origin stories, eight in a row, one after the other, I would have it be like more like what final fantasy six does or final fantasy four does where, you know, there will be these chapters at some point. So like you, maybe you'll be 20 hours in with your main party and then there will be the introduction of this other character. And then you see their origin. You, maybe you play their origin and that kind of breaks it up in a nice way. Um, but it's it's sort of pre-written. You know, it's not, uh, I don't want to be the director. I don't want to be the storyteller where I, like, I want someone else to figure out what would be a good pacing thing for me, a good experience. And so that's kind of been my biggest issue with Octopath Traveler 2. My other concern about it is that it is a, it is a modern video game. It might look from the from the screenshots and stuff like it's a retro rpg because it's got pixel art but no it's a very modern video game and so so far the at least the combat system is very um it's very tight it's like this very simple like you know enemies have a certain thing that they get countered by uh, you know uh counter you know elemental types sort of and if you hit them x number of times with that they break 
and they have they miss a turn pretty much that seems to be the basic concept of course there's lots of abilities and i will say that the abilities and stuff seem interesting like it seems like there's a lot of there's a lot of space in that classic final fantasy dragon quest sort of combat system that really has gone underexplored uh things like passes passes that affect the whole team you know abilities that start at the that automatically trigger at the start of battle abilities that trigger when a monster dies like there's so many things that could be done that have not really been experimented with um another example is like final fantasy 9 started having some of those uh like for example um there's an ability that le- every time you take a damage you drink a potion automatically uh like passives like that that are like whenever you type passives um, so I think Octopath Traveler 2 is going to have a good number of those, which I am pretty excited about. But yeah, music's good. Art's good. So far, I don't see anything horrible with the narrative. And we will talk about horrible things that RPGs have done in the past. Um, uh, but so far, I'm not seeing any red flags with Octopath. I see a couple of yellow flags uh, and, uh, and the pacing is a bit weird. But I, I, I think I recommend Octopath Traveler 2 so far. Um, but yeah, that's about it. On to the next game. I got uh, four more games to talk about, and hopefully they won't all be as, uh, I don't know, as long-winded as these. But, um, uh, okay, Baldur's Gate 3, I have stepped away from. Uh, I played that game for about, like, 130 hours, something like that, total, with the early access, and now I've gotten to uh, to the city of Baldur's Gate in, in uh, Baldur's Gate 3, and I just found myself kind of falling off. Like, I've just, I... You know, I think a big problem with Baldur's Gate 3 for me is the lack of a, uh, you know, the whole silent protagonist thing. Um, that, that, and that is a, a kind of a trope in Western RPGs that, that's common. But, um, but there's also just, I don't know, I think that the, I think honestly, Baldur's Gate, it's funny because Baldur's Gate 3 is pretty popular largely because of the D&D license. But I also think that the D&D license is the worst thing about Baldur's Gate 3. Because it, the, the, you know, the, the D&D universe has, has never been very interesting to me. Uh, it, it's sort of like laden with a lot of these like old, old tropes and like weird racist fantasy racism stuff. Um, and so there's still a lot of that kind of stuff. And I don't know, there's just something about the universe. It's just not, um, it's just not that compelling to me. And there's, and the story hasn't been that compelling to me. Um, the combat's good, but I feel like I get it, you know, at this point. Um, and I'm just not that excited to do more of it. I think part of that is the D and D class system is just not that interesting. I mean, I, you know, I remember like looking through the, the, cause I want to be an assassin. So I made an assassin character and there's just aren't, very many interesting abilities. And that's because there aren't that many interesting assassin abilities in D and D and, and, you know, for tabletop, it's fine because you have a DM and you have players who can come up with weird, they can like make their own weird abilities on the fly, but for a video game, and this has always been something that's plagued D and D video games. It's there. The actual core rules. If you're following those, um, they're just not very interesting. I remember like looking through the feats and being like, oh man, what cool assassin feats am I going to be able to get? None. Like there's no weird acrobatic things. There's no, it's, it's all very simple. And so that was very disappointing to me. And yeah, don't make D and D based RPGs. Uh, you know, like if this game had been not D and D based, it would have been 
so much better uh, because you know I love Divinity Original Sin. Their universe is like fun and cool, and uh, yeah. So uh, that's my biggest issue with Baldur's Gate Three. Um, it's a very cool game. Don't get me wrong; it's great. I mean, one of the best RPGs of the last of the last ten years for sure. Uh, and I've played it for 150 hours, but I just don't feel compelled to beat it. And I think part of that is Baldur's Gate. The city is just so huge. I also think there there is a bit of, you know, as ambitious as the game is in some ways, it is actually pretty controlled in terms of like how quests work and how talking to NPCs works and how combat works. It's actually like, you know, when you play one of these older um, computer role playing games, like there was this wildness the where you weren't really sure what what was going to like what are even the rules in a way like in terms of like what is a quest uh what what's a secret you know that kind of thing um and Baldur's Gate 3 is is actually like and it makes sense because it has so much content to make it's actually pretty controlled in terms of like how are how do secrets happen in the game how do how do you like get or finish quests or like you know it's it's just it's it's less wild than I would have actually liked. Um, so, and less like just imbalanced and messy and janky. It's, it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, again, it has the modern video game thing of being a little bit too smooth actually in some ways. And that's kind of a theme that I think we, uh, I will have on this podcast. Uh, so yeah, done with Baldur's Gate three for now. Maybe at some point I'll make another character come back to it. We'll see. I sort of screwed up my save file to be honest with you too. Like I, I really messed up my chapter two. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so we'll start it. We'll start it over at some point, probably, uh, especially if they have some kind of expansion that adds new character classes or something. Cause, um, yeah, that's the biggest thing is there's no character class that I'm excited to really try out. Um, so that's it for Baldur's Gate three for now. Next up is uh, Fallout New Vegas. I played a little bit. I'm going to be quick with this one because it's an older game. Uh, and I, I I don't know why I really... I thought I guess I thought it would be a good game of my ally. I have a Asus ROG ally, which is amazing. I strongly recommend this device. It's like a super Steam deck. It runs Windows. Very cool device. But I, want, I thought that might be good on there. So I was playing some Fallout New Vegas on the, on the ally. Um, and it's just, uh, honestly, like there's some stuff I've always been skeptical about new Vegas for mainly that it uses the Bethesda engine, the VATS thing, um, which I don't, it's not that I hate VATS that much. VATS I think is pretty stupid, but, but it's more just everything. It's more just like a million little decisions throughout the whole, the whole entirety of like just how the map works and and how loot works and like there's a million things that come from the Bethesda design aesthetic that are still in New Vegas as much as you know Obsidian I think tried to write the ship it's like you're you're so off course uh I'm not a big Bethesda fan uh for people who don't know uh I really loved Morrowind I really appreciated Dagger da- uh, Daggerfall a lot um but I, but I, I absolutely loved Morrowind and beat it. Uh, and then I was very disappointed with Oblivion, and I uh, barely played Skyrim at all. I just, I sort of got the sense about Skyrim. I might give it another try at some point, but yeah, Fallout New Vegas. And then the other issue with Fallout New Vegas, which is Obsidian's fault entirely, is that it's just so grim. It's so colorless. It's so like just like a shitty place to be in. And the quests are all like, 
you know, kill a bunch of prisoners and not all, but there's just all these like there's this like edge lordy uh choices and consequences aesthetic to um the a lot of these western RPGs, especially in the 90s and the 2000s. I think they're starting to get better. I think um Outer Worlds is a little bit better on this front. Um it's probably worse on other fronts. Uh but uh but yeah, it's just so dreary and so like I don't want to be in this world. It's just, I, you know, that was that was really what made me stop playing above any, uh, above all else. It's just not an appealing place to be. I don't really care that much that some guy like shot me and like I want to go get that guy. Like that's not very compelling to me as a basic plot uh, setup. So it just, you know, like why? Why play it? So I can shoot things, you know, like I could get, go do that in like Fortnite and it's a lot more fun. So that's about Fallout New, New Vegas. Uh, next up, my last two are going to be Kingdom Hearts and then Final Fantasy 16. Uh, so I started playing Kingdom Hearts uh, pretty recently. I'm only like four or five hours in. Um, there is a lot to really hate about Kingdom Hearts. Um, and there's some things that Kingdom Hearts does pretty well. Um so I remember when Kingdom Hearts came out, I did not play it. I heard that there was like 3D platforming and I was like, no way. And also even then the idea of like a Zelda, uh, sorry, like a, like a Disney Final Fantasy crossover kind of thing just didn't sound appealing to me. Like why, why do I want to see cloud interacting with like the villain from the Hercules movie or something like what, why, why would I want that? Um, so on that level, it always kind of irked me. And I think I had started falling off of the final fantasy games around then, uh, the JRPGs and that sort of thing anyway, around that time, like I said, so I never played kingdom hearts really until recently. Um, and so I'm playing kingdom hearts one and this is the, um, uh, I think it's called remix or something. It's like the, it's the new, it's the, like a re-release HD version of the game. And, uh, I'm playing it on PS five and, uh, so first let's talk about the good. Um, basically the good thing about it is the combat system is satisfying. Uh, it's pretty well done. It's, it feels good. And it's like, you know, something I like about it coming from, especially something like Tales of Berseria, uh, but even something like Scarlet Nexus is that, um, it's very simple. You know, it's a, it's just you got a pretty low number of moves. You cannot do anything with your other party members, really. I mean, you can throw a potion at them, that sort of thing. But basically, you're just doing very simple combat, and it's just it's satisfying. It's well done. The animation's very good, and that alone just kind of works. And I I enjoy that. That said, almost everything else about the game is pretty atrocious like uh the uh this the story and the narrative is just nonsense doesn't make any sense uh and people have commented about that before but also it's just very off-putting because especially now that like disney is this like disney disney does not mean the same thing now that it did 20 years ago 25 years ago and so now it's just even grosser and weirder than it would have been then so the whole disney presence is just weird and off-putting but then there's also like in order to get from world to world, you have to do this mini game, a forced mini game called the gummy ship, which is like imagine Star Fox, but like poorly, poorly made. So it's like really bad Star Fox where the, there's camera issues and control issues and the reticle doesn't point where you think it would be pointing. And it's just there's so much wrong with it. And also, why? Why am I doing this? 
Um, I guess, you know, it, it, it almost feels like they had some other project they were working on and they're like, well, we could throw that in as like a mini game, um, which if it were a mini game that was optional, I'd be super, I'd be like, that's so cool. There's a little shooter game, but now you have to do it every single time you go through from a place to place. So that's uh, atrocious. And then on top of that, there's just so many like um, find three sticks and two uh, lamb sheep and then five orbs and one flagpole. You know, like you have to find all these weird objects and it just feels very much like I'm very sensitive to like, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the game developer who implements that. And I'm like, do you want to do this? Like, is this something that would be exciting for you? Because I've worked on games before, like as a job, you know, and I know what it's like to be in that position of like, this is just a job. I'm being tasked to do this. Or like, even as a designer, like, oh, we need something for the player to do. Okay, um, sure. There's going to be blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, this task, fetch quest. And it just feels like with Kingdom Hearts, there was a lot of, just we need stuff to fill out the time it can't just all be combat um which they were probably right about that um but yeah it's it's it you know to be charitable i think it's it's really a game for like adolescents like young very young people uh i think if you're you know if you're like 10 or something and playing this game the disney stuff will go down fine the fact that the plot doesn't make any sense is fine the all the like little go fetch things quests is all fine um so i think i think part of it might just be i'm i'm too old for kingdom hearts um but uh yeah that's my experience with it um i will keep playing it um but it, it's definitely a very challenging experience and then last on the list is final fantasy 16 now i started playing this when it came out um, I actually got a PS5 to play this because I really wanted to give a Final Fantasy a go when it was new. And uh, I played it for a few hours and just really bounced off of it um, for a couple of reasons. One is that it's so dark and so dreary. It's a little bit like uh, the problem I have with uh, Fallout New Vegas. It's so like they're just all the characters are men. They're all white. And it's like this royal royals doing shit to other Royals thing. And it just doesn't have final fantasy vibes to me at all. Like I know people will argue and it's silly to argue like, what is a final fantasy? What, you know, what's the essential thing? Cause there's many different things, especially at this point, there's like probably a hundred different final fantasy games. Really. If we're counting everything, uh, there's MMOs and it's just like, it's a whole, it's a whole, it's, it, but I, but for me, there was the thing I really loved about Final Fantasies one through ten, was that there was a sensitivity. There was it. It was even for Final Fantasy one, there was like a color and a um, I don't know a sensitivity to it between the music and the way it presented itself that just has not. I haven't seen much of that at all in sixteen, and so I really bounced off of sixteen at first. The other reason that I bounced off of sixteen was. Uh, the real-time combat, which um, at that time when it had first come out, um, I had played a lot fewer real-time combat games, actually. And I will say that going right from Kingdom Hearts, so I'd been playing Kingdom Hearts over the last few weeks, and then like two or three days ago, I went back into Final Fantasy 16. And after coming from Kingdom Hearts to Final Fantasy 16, it was a very interesting uh, relationship there because actually they're like, are kind of similar games. Like I feel like Final Fantasy 16 fans might not want to hear that, but 
maybe they would, um, because maybe many of them are Kingdom Hearts uh, fans, and that's why Final Fantasy 16 is the way it is. But yeah, it really, you know, I think Kingdom Hearts and a few games like it really started to establish a norm for video games that started sort of solidifying over the last like 20 years when I sort of wasn't playing as many video games. But um, on my second time in, especially comparing it with Kingdom Hearts, I'm like, oh my God, the combat system in this rules. This is awesome. <laughs> like, I'm really enjoying it now. Um, and, uh, and, and the narrative has like picked up. There's been some twists and stuff that have been a little more interesting. Um, I still don't know that it has plot gravity in the way that I'm looking for, but I do like that the main character is kind of a character, like, uh, at least sort of so far. I hope that that is developed more. I have hopes for the game. Um, and while I say that the combat system is, is awesome, it is awesome, but it's not compelling. It's more just like enjoyable in the moment while you're doing it. It's like, yeah, cool, cool. Bam, bam, bam. Dodge. Do the abilities, you know? But it's not um, interesting or like uh, compelling in the way that a good uh, you know party building RPG is. And I and in general, I just I like I don't feel like this is an RPG. Final Fantasy 16 is is the genre video game, and by that I mean it's like real time combat, you know, and then cutscene, real time combat, cutscene, real time combat, cutscene you know, a few side quests here and there, but it's very, uh, it's, it's one of the most conservative video game designs I think I've ever played. It's very well made. It's very polished. It's very smooth, way too smooth, way too smooth. Like all this issue, these issues I've been talking about with games being way too smooth. 16 has that completely. Uh, and it does feel like a universal studios ride. Um, but the actual individual assets are very well made. It's kind of, it's actually, it's a lot like Scarlet Nexus. I would say if you love Final Fantasy 16, probably go play Scarlet Nexus. They're very similar games, extremely polished, but also extremely conservative video game genre video games. Um, so yeah, that's 16. Um, I'm excited to play it more. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. I'll, I'll report back in on that. Uh, the next games up on my docket are Trails in Cold Steel 1, um, a game called Demon's Roots, and the classic Suikoden 2. So I'm going to keep playing all these kind of RPGs. I just really want to be very knowledgeable and take from... I, I Every time I see something in one of these games that I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. Like I write it down as a thing to put into my game um, or at least a thing to consider. So there you go. That's the first part of the podcast. Those are the games that I've been playing over the last, you know, six months or so. Uh, I might have talked about some of these before, but hopefully there's some new insights here. And yeah, thanks for listening. Next up, I'm going to talk about uh, some bad things, some bad qualities that RPGs typically have. All right, so the first thing I want to talk about is a bad narrative setup. A lot of RPGs have different kinds of bad narrative setups, and what that does is it does not invite the player to want to keep playing, um, and that's not good because then people don't play the game, and I assume that people make all this stuff, 40 hours worth of content, because they want someone to see that. Um, So... Yeah, here's some examples of some what I would consider bad narrative setups.
right, one is anything with like this evil race has come to the land. Uh, you know, maybe it's demons or orcs or whatever. In uh, in Witcher Three, I remember everyone's talking about the black ones came, uh, and which is very creepy because in that game everybody is white also. Um, and you know the these kind of like evil ones uh, that are coming uh, often are like a stand-in for people. They are often people that are the bad people. Uh, and there's a way that you can do that where sometimes where it comes off as more of like a force of nature, it almost feels like a huge storm is coming or something, which is definitely an improvement. And I also do understand that like RPGs are about killing things like fundamentally, like there's the combat system, right? That's like you have that and you kill things. So you need things to kill, but it's also important to be thoughtful about what you're putting front and center and like what you're saying, um, because it can really be, it can really just reinforce um really like racist or xenophobic ideas about people and so and that's alienating you know i mean if you're uh if you're a normal decent person uh you kind of want to know like well what are what are the orcs mad about you know like what are the orcs why, why are they why are they engaging in violence um so um yeah i think i think that's um that's something to consider uh sort of similar um you know, I'm thinking about the game Trails in the Sky, where in the beginning, the the first chapter, the first Trails in the Sky game, um, which I p- tried really hard to play. I've written about it before. I've talked about it on the podcast. But like in that one, you're a, like basically a cop working for the royalty and, you know, going around using enhanced interrogation techniques on on poor people to rise through the ranks and while defending the monarchy. And like these are all things that are just like for me, extremely abrasive ideas. And I guess, you know, maybe there are people out there who think that sounds cool. Uh, and I guess maybe this game is just for them. But uh, I like to think that the people who listen to my voice are, uh, you know, normal, nice people who don't want to use enhanced interrogation techniques on poor people. Um, and so I would say, you know, be sensitive about that sort of thing. Um like royalty in general, the presence of royalty is like such a plague in RPGs um, that you're either working for the monarchy or like, you know, it saved the monarchy. The princess has been captured, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it really irritates me that nobody asks like, why does this person have power? Like, or, or, you know, like the bad King is coming or like someone is coming to kill the King and take over. It's like, well, how does this guy have any less right? to rule than the king does. You know what I mean? Like, why is that a problem? Or like, okay, maybe that's a problem, but what about our existing king? He's also a problem. Like, so nobody asks the question, like, uh, and, you know, that that made more sense back in, like, the Dragon Quest three days when, like, there kind of wasn't the bandwidth. And I understand, like, you're, you're yeah, back then you're, you're relying on these very, very simple fantasy tropes in order to tell a basic functional story, but we don't have that excuse anymore. We have plenty of bandwidth. There is no need to be relying on these kinds of, um, in my opinion, harmful anti-democratic tropes anymore. Uh, okay, so anything also where you're the chosen one, uh, being the chosen one, really, I, for me, it undermines everything. It turns my great feats, like really cool things that I do in the game, into something actually kind of ordinary because, yeah, the chosen one is doing chosen one things. Whereas if I'm just like a person 
uh, it doesn't mean you have to be like a, you know, a very poor, you know, orphan or something like that. Uh, although that's not a bad idea. Um, but, you know, you can just be a, a person, a mom, uh, you know, somebody who's like a blacksmith or somebody who's, you know, a fisherman or a, a librarian. Like there's a million different things that you can be. And then when you do, when you participate in something great, that's actually really cool because you're not the chosen one. There is no chosen one. Um, and so, it's, yeah, for me, the whole chosen one concept is just really not resonant. Uh, it, it's it, it reminds me of like great man of history uh, way of looking at the world uh, that we have like these like, you know, brilliant men. And it's almost always men uh, who have changed history. And uh, I, I think that. A lot of the times, or no, all the time, the reality is there was a bunch of people working together who made change happen. Many, many people, the names of whom we will never remember, uh, died in order to, to, for change to happen. And then all the credit goes to this one person. So I don't like the chosen one thing. I think we should ditch that. Let's stop doing that and tell stories about people, you know? Uh, I think that's, uh, you know, one of the things I like about Final Fantasy VII is that there's this between the, the the base game and the remake there's this sort of concept through it that like Zack was the chosen one he was the like true great warrior but now he's dead he's died before the story even began and now you cloud who is not the chosen one who is like kind of a screw up in some ways like has to just sort of fill that role and i think that's that's really interesting because then we're putting that chosen one thing into this sort of like uh you know, diegetic legend, right? Like that, oh, Zach was the great, you know, hero. Um, and so that that makes sense because we do have legends in real life. Legends are real. Like people tell stories about things, you know? Uh, but the issue is when the the reality in the game, the diegetic reality is that there actually is a chosen one. Um, so, okay. So this one is perhaps more personal than other ones. Uh, but, uh, for me, a silent protagonist, I really wish we would stop doing silent protagonists in RPGs. Um, I just feel like if you're going to make it through 40 plus hours, you, you kind of need there to be, or at least I do, I need there to be this like central emotional thing that I'm heading towards. I need to care about reaching the ending, a satisfying conclusion, a problem I have in a lot of Dragon Quest games, for example, is that it often feels like I'm just going from little mini story to little mini story that are not really connected to each other. And then at some point, the mini stories just end and there's some like, you know, uh, some like final boss battle. Um, whereas if you compare that to something like Final Fantasy 13, that game has a pretty central thing that's been headed towards the entire time. And that just feels really compelling when, when even in like the, the, you know, this second act climax, there's like something that happens that has to do with the, the very, you know, the story itself, the whole narrative arc. And so I, I'm much more of a fan of that. Um, and then, okay, last uh, sub bullet point for bad narrative setup setups is I just wanted to make a mention about games that have a good narrative setup that they promptly forget about. Uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon comes to mind for me. That was, uh, I had a bunch of reasons. I wrote a review about that game. You can find it on my blog, but um, a bad review. But uh, the thing with Yakuza Like a Dragon is the opening, it's like the first 45 minutes or whatever, the opening is so strong 
it's like extremely compelling TV, you know, like it's like a great episode of a show or something. And I was like, oh my God, this is game is going to be incredible. And then I played like hour five, hour 10, hour 15, hour 20, hour 25, and didn't hear anything. And I was at some point, I mean, like an hour 23 or so, I was like, hey, whatever happened with that like whole opening narrative setup thing? That was awesome. Where did that ever go? There was no follow-up on it. Instead, I just was doing like mini games and like weird, like, oh, there's this, you know, brothel and there's some gang that took over and like what all this like just miscellaneous stuff that has nothing to do with that core start, you know, awesome like opening narrative. So do a good opening narrative like Yakuza Like a Dragon does and then stick with that, like develop that. Don't just throw it out. Uh, I'm sure it comes back later in Yakuza Like a Dragon, but you know, there was a good 20, 30 hours where I'm just like doing some video game stuff. Uh, and that's a problem for me. Okay, so the next major bullet point is forced mini games. This one's pretty easy to get out of the way. I think mini games are actually an important thing to have in an RPG. I think they help create a sense of worldliness that like there is a game within this game, you know, a diegetic existing game that exists in the world. Final Fantasy IX is a great example here. I love the card game. Eight also has it. The card game thing, very cool. And you can play with different players. It creates a little extra stuff to collect. And it's great. And it's totally optional. And that's perfect. Uh, but when they're forced, it, it can be completely uh, killer. Uh, and that's because um, many games are completely different games. They are uh, testing totally different skills. And they are often... Uh, I remember recently I tried to play uh, Mario Superstar Saga, the original one. And there was this like jumping rope mini game that was like a memory test slash execution test that was actually like decently difficult. <laughs> and uh, I just was like so not emotionally here for it at all. And I bailed on the game. Like granted, I wasn't, it wasn't like I was like blown away by the game otherwise. Uh, it seemed like utterly fine otherwise. But that one thing, that forced mini game was like enough for me to be like, nope, I'm bailing, forget this. And I mean, I just talked about the gummy ship. Uh, that's something that, yeah, like people don't like it. Uh, there are mods that allow you to skip the gummy ship, which sounds actually pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, do put mini games into your RPGs. It really helps make the world feel more like a world, but do not make them forced. Another really big uh, common problem that all RPGs, all RPGs, even my favorite ones have, is bad pacing. And in their defense, um, it's hard to do good pacing. Um, I was going to write just like too long as the name of this bullet point, but there isn't a really a correct length for an RPG. Like it's very valid to make a five hour RPG. It's probably valid to make a 100 hour RPG. But, uh, the, the, the reality is that they almost all feel too long and that's because they're not paced well for the length that they are. It feels to me like most uh, JRPGs, including every Final Fantasy game I've played, has enough stuff in it for a game that would be about half as long as it is. So most Final Fantasy games, if I was to be able to go in and edit them, I would cut like 30-40% of the games out uh, and make them that much shorter. Um, so that they're paced better. And then of course you have to do some balancing work and stuff like that. Uh, I mean... So this is, I'm talking like narratively here and like 
you know, going from scene to scene, place to place, character to character. Uh, it, it seems like most of them, you know, I played Final Fantasy VII Remake. That's actually a very good example of this. That was a phenomenal RPG. But, you know, the last half of it was almost, I felt like almost all of it could have been shrunk down to like 10% of what it was. Uh, there was just so many like going into sewers and going to these warehouses and, you know, these boring like zones over and over again. And uh, it, it just, it feels like that developers think that their games have to be X number of hours long to justify, I don't know if it's to justify like some preconceived concept of like what a game ought to be or if it's to justify the price or what it is like it's like you have to tell share shareholders like oh yeah we're selling a 30 to 40 hour rpg experience um which i could definitely see uh being the case um but then what happens is that the developers are like shit well how do we how do we actually make this we have 20 hours worth of content how are we going to stretch this into 40 hours and that's exactly what it feels like for a lot of these games uh, bad fight pacing is a, is another example here. So players don't want to fight the same fight over and over again. I mean, that's pretty, especially for RPGs, because they're they're pretty simple. In a strategy game realm, you would solve this by just having there be enough complexity and, and with some randomization and stuff. Um, so like, for example, you know, like Gem Wizards Tactics, my game, I think that like, yeah, you could play on the same map over and over again with the same faction over and over again because there's so much that's different every time. There's different monsters, there's different placements of the castles. There's, you know, it's sort of like a roguelike in that sense. But with RPGs, you generally want the gameplay to be very smooth, and so you can't have uh, there be you can't have them be too complex turn to turn. And, you know, a board game would be an example too, right? Like board games have the same components every time, but they they are complex enough that you can play them over and over again, and they're interesting every time. RPGs can't really do that. They are reliant on on components, on introduction of new components. So that might be new abilities for the player to use, new characters, new items, new monsters, etc. And at a rate that that will mean that the player isn't fighting the same fights over and over. And so, but there's a balancing act to be done there because you can't have it be that you're alert, you're gaining new things every single fight. Um, so you do need to have there be a, a bit of a balance there. And that's something that is also like the general bad pacing sometimes has been a problem. I would say Final Fantasy VII Remake has that problem. By the second half, I was like, kind of like, all right, I think I've seen all the materia in the game. Uh, there's not really any new characters or anything. So it felt like it ran out of stuff for me and I started just having the same fights over and over again. And that's kind of a major problem. So yeah, again, the last two bullet points can also just be summed up as... The game is just too long. Uh, so, you know, the simpler answer is make the RPGs shorter. Every 40-hour RPG that comes out probably should have been 20 to 25 hours long. Um, and yeah, that's that's my point there. Um, we've talked a little bit about this. Uh, games that are too balanced, in a sense. Now, strategy games can't really be too balanced, in my opinion. But RPGs actually can, and that's because they're they're they have so many other things that they are trying to do besides just be a strong sort of system in and of themselves. And most RPGs that come out these days are too balanced. Uh, a game that comes to mind for me would be Final Fantasy Tactics A2 for the Nintendo DS. Um, I played that one like 50 hours and then like aggressively quit. And the reason is. 
uh, I was really playing hoping that it would open up at some point because basically the way it works is the, you, you learn your skills from items. You learn your classes from items in that game. So you find a an item like, I don't know, a halberd or something. And it's like, oh, this has the dragoon class. So you can, if you equip that, you like learn the dragoon class class through that item, something along those lines. But the game would just like feed you these new class items at such a rate that you would just have enough time to learn the last class and then you would, you know, find the new one and you'd learn that one. So there's almost no choice. It was just like actually a linear track of all the classes. And that's a good example. Like that that's a way in which they can really balance the game in like a very sort of heavy handed way. And so what, what I think you actually want is balancing RPGs to be spiky and rough. You know, one of the nice things about RPGs is that you have the ability to let the player do a little bit of extra grinding if they're behind, you know? And so th that's there's a release valve in that sense. And so that means that you have some wiggle room. You can, you can uh, have the balance be spiky. And I think you really want to because you want to create a sense... This is not like an obstacle course for the player. This is not a uh, Universal Studios ride. This is a world, right? And obviously it is a Universal Studios ride, no matter what we say, right? Like we're presenting stuff to the player. We're telling a story. We're doing stagecraft. It's all faked, right? In some sense. But it's important that you do straight stagecraft in such a way that it feels naturalistic. And one of the ways you can do that is by having there be some of these rough edges, some of these like you know, you know, you get a really powerful weapon that's like feels too powerful for a little while. And then there's something else that comes out that's too powerful in the other way. Not, you know, not powerful enough or something. You get a character who is too weak added to your party, you know, and for narrative reasons, they have to be with you, but they're they're very weak. You know, um, like there's so many different ways that this can be done. And it really helps to create a more interesting texture than the extremely smooth uh, smoothed out um, experiences of, of modern video games, which have nothing like that. And then my last point is a problem with RPGs is that they can feel like software. Uh, and that's that all this can happen to any video game. I think video games are, of course, made out of software, but the magic spell that artists, musicians, storytellers, game designers, and programmers do together is that they use their skills carefully to make the thing feel like something other than software, something more than software. Like it's this magical, precious little artifact, like it's art. Um, you know, I want to feel like this thing I'm engaging with is important and special, and it's not just some crass piece of software. Um, not to say that software is bad, but if you're going to, again... These RPGs are asking so much of the player. I'm asking for your attention for 40 hours or so, like 30 hours even, a more than a full day of your time. And that's a big ask. And so I think that part of how you would do that is by communicating that you as a developer really care, that you really have something important that you want to express here. And, and that communicates to me as a player that like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm listening, you know, like you really care. You really put a lot into this. This is important. This is more than just some program. This is, this is art, you know? And I think Final Fantasy has always been really good at that, even from Final Fantasy one. Um, and, uh, computer RPGs tend to be a little bit worse at it. Um, and one of the, I've been playing some more RPG maker demos and, and I think RPG maker games tend to have a problem with this because 
between the default fonts and the generic UI and free assets and a bunch of different assets from different places, it could just, it brings out that feeling like, oh, this is just software. This is just some piece of software. And that can be devastating for a player's ability to get emotionally invested. So, um, you know, and I think it's important to make the delineation between, you know, polish in a budget sense and polish in terms of like um, care. You know, uh, what I'm talking about is polish in terms of care, that human labor, human uh, passion built this thing and made decisions. And I can see the marks of human hands all over it and 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 the marks of care and that doesn't necessarily have to i mean it does have to cost money and that games cost time to make and time is money uh so it does cost some money but um there is also this uh this in especially in triple a video games there's this like look how much money we can spend these like multi-million dollar looking cutscenes, and that's not what i'm talking about i don't think that's important at all i think that's like a marketing thing and um, that's not at all what I'm talking about. Like something like a Michael Bro game, uh, which are not big budget games at all. They are solo indie dev games, but you can they their art kind of all goes together, and it you can tell that there was care put into this, and that's kind of really what I'm talking about. They don't just feel like software. The Michael Bro games, especially something like Eight Six Eight Hack, which is funny because it sort of is themed as software, but because of how it's produced, how how the art works together and how the mechanics work, it really feels like this cohesive little weird artifact. And I think that's important for RPGs in particular because of how much they ask of the player. Anyways, that's about all I've got. That was a lot of talking. Um, thanks for listening. And uh, I will uh, see you again soon. Please come visit my uh, Twitch stream. I'm going to be streaming uh, more and over the next uh, few months, I think. Uh, yeah, twitch.tv slash KeithBurgun. And also, of course, you can support me on Patreon, which would be actually very, very helpful if you'd be interested in my RPG or what I'm doing. Uh, I also have news about Spellstorm. There's going to be a newsletter going out soon, so stay tuned for that. Um, and yes, that's about it for me today. Thank you for listening, and I will see you again soon.